All right, Revelation chapter 12 and 13. Uh, let me just catch us up where we've been and uh, get us all caught up and ready for this evening. We're studying the end times and we're trying to look at it in a chronological fashion. We're not studying it by book or uh, in that way, but we're going to look at it when it takes place. And so thus far we have uh, studied the church age and then the rapture, the judgment seat of Christ. And now for some time we've been in the tribulation period. And um, there's a lot of to go over as we've been going through the book of Revelation primarily and considering all these things. Uh, we are probably about the three and a half year period, about midway through in our study uh, of the tribulation. And um, thus far we have seen the seal judgments. Uh, we have considered the trumpet judgments. And the next set of judgments that we'll look at will be the vile judgments. Now, several weeks ago, I told you I, someone had asked, can we describe or picture some of these events that are going on? And uh, this is some artwork that we have found that is really taking the, 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 the word pictures out of the book of Revelation and the different things that have gone on. And that's where we were at the end of chapter number 12. Let's start there this evening. Uh, chapter number 12 of Revelation uh, let's see, we'll start in verse number 13. It says, And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the face of the serpent. That time, and times, and half a time would refer to three and a half years. And verse 15, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. So there's a flood that he's trying to uh, get the, the nation of Israel, and he's, uh, a storm of some sort's going to come through and flood. But you'll notice here in verse 16, the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so that was in chapter 12. We're at the conclusion of chapter number 12. And this evening we're going to get into chapter number 13. And we'll see this picture described for us in just a moment as we read uh, chapter 13 in just a moment. Now, in chapter 12, there were three primary characters, if you recall. It's been a while, but there's the woman. We just read about her again. There was the red dragon, and then there was the man-child in chapter number 12. Now, who was the woman, and who does the woman represent there in chapter number 12? Someone shout it out. It's the nation of Israel. Very good. The great red dragon, that one's easy, right? Who is that? That's Satan. And then there's the man-child, and that is Jesus Christ. And so what we talked about in those three pictures, those three things, or those three individuals, uh, there was one overriding principle also throughout chapter 12, and that is this thought. That's not just a principle of chapter 12, it's a principle of the entire Bible. And that is God's redemption plan. God has always had a plan for redemption. 
And uh, he didn't come up with it at the last moment. It wasn't just a, 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 a Hail Mary pass of his. He's always, from the beginning of time, had a plan for redemption. And so what we're going to learn in chapter 13 this evening, there are also three primary characters in chapter number 13. We're going to learn about a beast out of the sea. If you see that beast coming out of the water there. You're going to learn about the dragon is again in chapter number 13. And then later on in chapter 13, there's another beast. And you can see it in the distance there. Now that beast coming out of the sea in chapter 13, uh, that is who we would know as the Antichrist. The red dragon, that is Satan. And then, then another beast, I guess the best way to explain this another beast or this other beast is he was an assistant to the beast. He was an aide. He was a helper. Some have referred to this as the unholy trinity. Uh, this is a, the contrast to the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And here we have this unholy version of it. Now, if chapter 12, the principle is this, that God has provided redemption, chapter 13 would be this principle, that Satan's desire is to interfere and hinder redemption. He wants to fight against it. God wants to save people, and he's provided a way, and Satan wants to fight against that. And we'll see that as we look through this chapter here this evening. Let's read chapter 13. I believe there's six, 18 verses. And uh, we're going to talk primarily tonight about uh, this beast out of the sea this evening, the Antichrist. But let's read the entirety of this chapter. John says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast." And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven." And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of, uh, of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If many man have an ear, let him hear. He that le uh, leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven out of the earth in the sight of men. 
and he deceiveth them by, by, that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he hath power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that, they dwell, that dwell on the earth that they, might, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak and, not, and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he caused all, both small and rich, excuse me, small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. It is amazing, isn't it, that you talk to people or you meet people, and if you ever get talking about the Bible, they frequently do not have a very good understanding or knowledge of the Bible, but how many of them know about the number 666? They've heard that before, right? And they, they'll know about that and maybe even uh, make mention of those type of things. And so there's a lot in this chapter, and as I said, we're not going to get deep into this chapter this week, but I want to talk to you about this one member of this unholy trinity this evening, uh, known as the beast of the sea, the one that we know as the Antichrist. Now take your Bibles and turn to 1 John this evening, back a couple of books to 1 John chapter number 2. The word Antichrist... It has a primary meaning of one that is opposed to Christ. It also means of one who is instead of Christ. So think about those two things, opposed to Christ and instead of Christ. Now the only time we see the word antichrist in the Bible is in the book of 1 John. Now John wrote Revelation and he also penned these short epistles, these short letters here in the back of our Bible. Look at chapter number 2, verse number 18. It says, Little children, it is the last time, or the end of time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrist, plural, whereby we know that it is the last time. Look at verse 22. It says, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and Son. Chapter number 4, verse number 3. It says, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereas ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. And then one more time in the book of 2 John, verse number 7, it says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is the deceiver and an antichrist. Now here we have the, the introduction of the term antichrist, the word antichrist. Uh, again, it means one that is opposed to Christ, one that is instead of Christ. But when we read in First and Second John, we can certainly get this understanding that there is an antichrist with many antichrists. So what I want us to see tonight, there is a 
primary figure that will be the Antichrist, but there are many that will display the spirit of Antichrist. There are many that will have the, uh, that will fit the definition. Well, there's an Antichrist with a capital and A, and there's many that live the life or the definition of an Antichrist with that lowercase a. So as far as the individual Antichrist, he's the one that is described here out of Revelation chapter 13, coming up out of the sea. Let's talk about that. In the Bible, the word sea is often a picture of humanity. It's often a picture of the world's humanity. So although we see this beast coming out of the sea, we do not think that it's going to rise out of an ocean somewhere, but out of the sea of humanity. And as well, this is a a, a figure here with seven heads and ten crowns and, and or ten horns, excuse me, and, and a leopard and a bear. All these things are described here. But this Antichrist will be a man. And these pictures here are, are pictures of power, pictures of uh, uh, of um, uh, ability. And, and able to overcome things. And so we're not talking about a, a literal animal that's going to come up out of the ocean, but a man is going to rise up one day, and he's going to oppose Christ. And this world is going to follow after him. He will be this true character, and he'll set himself up, and he will reveal himself as anti-God and anti-Christ. So as we learn more about him, we can learn much about him through the titles and names that are given to him in the scriptures. So I only want to look at a handful of them this evening. But again, taking these thoughts from the scripture, we can learn about the character of this individual. Look with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And we're going to see three descriptions and names of the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians Chapter number 2. Now this evening, if you thought perhaps we might name who the Antichrist is, that's not our goal. In every generation, there has been guesses of who the Antichrist is going to be as far as the human figure. I remember in our church in Pennsylvania, uh, when I was pastoring there, we had a, a, a lady in our church, an elderly lady that grew up in Germany. Uh, her family... F- Uh, would have been underneath Adolf Hitler. And she said that during that time, many believers, many Christians believed that Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. And you can imagine, I think they said that uh, Mussolini may have been uh, uh, the other beast that came up out of the earth. And they had these thoughts and they tried to figure that. And every generation that's happened, you've heard of different characters, often political uh, often uh, somebody that's in the news and, and, and they say that that's, that's probably the Antichrist. And so that's not our goal to try to name or try to figure out who it is, but we want to learn about the character of this individual. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Two names in this verse, two descriptions of the Antichrist. He's called the man of sin, and he's called the son of perdition. Let's talk about those. The man of sin. 
this is his description. This is his uh, uh, DNA. And it's the opposite, and again, the contrast or the contradiction of Jesus Christ. We would say Jesus Christ is the sinless one. He is the man without sin. He is the God-man. But this is the man of sin. His life is characterized as sin, completely contrary to Jesus Christ. And he's the son of perdition. This means one that is full of evil and wickedness. It's, it's, it's the one that's begotten of the one that is evil and wicked. The son of perdition. There's a commentator, an old commentator named Arthur Pink. You may have seen some of his books. I want to read a quote of his concerning these two names, man of sin and son of perdition. He says this, this double appellation is probably the most awful, the most important, and the most revealing title given to the Antichrist in all the Bible. It diagnoses his personality and exposes his awful character. It tells us he will be possessed of a twofold nature. He will be a man yet more than a man. He will be Satan's parody of the God-man. He will be the incarnation of the devil. The world today is, look, is talking and looking for the superman. And this is exactly what the Antichrist will be. The Antichrist is Satan's creation, Satan's development, design to mimic Jesus Christ. But it's the opposite. It's his answer to, to what God has presented to us in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so he is a man of sin. He's a son of perdition. Just a few verses down, verse number 8. He's called the wicked, or that wicked. It says in verse number 8, Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with his spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Again, he's described in this simple way as the wicked. A simple name or title that describes the character of this individual. You say the Antichrist, we would say he's just wicked. He's evil incarnate. Again, opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Is this Antichrist the wicked one? Back out of Revelation chapter 13, we won't look at it again there, but in verse number 1, it's described as the beast out of the sea. And again, that is a contrary comparison to Jesus Christ a gentle lamb right the lamb of God and then you have the beast of the sea completely contrary one to the other so he's the man of sin the son of perdition the wicked one the beast out of the sea go back to the old testament to Daniel chapter number seven Daniel chapter number seven and in verse number eight we're going to see that he's described as the little horn. The little horn. Look at verse number 8 of chapter 7. It says, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. Behold, in this horn were, the, were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now in this book here in Daniel chapter 7 in a historical aspect Daniel's been describing a historical figure 
Many believe it to be a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. But in chapter 7, this transitions from a historical look, a backward look, to a forward look, a prophetic look. And this little horn is describing the Antichrist. A horn in the Bible. Think of a horn on an ox or a bull. And a horn often again pictured or referred to power, especially power in a national sense, in a political sense, in a military fashion. And so this man has, is going to come up as a little horn having power, and he's going to ascend into this position. In fact, this evening we'll read about that in Daniel chapter 11 in just a few moments here. But again, in verse number 7, or chapter 7, verse number 8, he's described as this little horn. Turn over to almost the end of the New Old Testament, Zechariah chapter number 11. Second to the last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 11. We'll look at verse 16 and 17. He's described in these verses as the idol shepherd. Verse number 16 of chapter 11 says, For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still. But he shall eat of the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean, dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. There's a couple of things we want to speak about here in these verses. But the word or the thought of idle shepherd is, that word idle means one that is worthless. One that is, uh, does not take his role or his task seriously. Did you see how this shepherd was? He was one that did not visit those that were cut off, neither did he seek for the young ones or heal those that were broken, but he tore them apart and ate them. And again, that's a great contrast to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who was willing to leave the, 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 the 90 and 9 and go search for the one little lost lamb. Again, a complete contrary picture. But here in this passage of Scripture, it speaks at the end of verse number 17 about his arm being clean, dried up. It's talking about a withered arm. An arm that has been injured and it's no longer uh, usable and his right eye shall be darkened. Speaking of losing sight. And that goes back to Revelation chapter number 13. Do you, you, do you remember we read those verses this evening and it talked about a, a miraculous recovery from a, a head injury? And there are thoughts here that, the, that this... Antichrist, this beast out of the sea, will suffer some type of injury during his term and will recover. Now again, trying to, people trying to apply uh, Bible to current day activities. How many remember, remember when President Reagan was shot? And he had a miraculous recovery. And even as a boy, I heard people saying, I wonder if he's the Antichrist. And we don't try to fit our times and our events into the Bible, but there does seem like there is going to be a time where this man is perhaps an assassination attempt, and he's injured, 
And according to Revelation chapter 13, he'll recover from it, and it will mesmerize the people. The people will be amazed. I can't believe that he's returned from these injuries. And so again, we see the man of sin, the son of perdition, the wicked one, the beast out of the sea, the little horn, the idol or worthless shepherd, all describe the Antichrist. There are several. I didn't think we'd have time to look at them this evening out of the book of Psalms. Uh, again, uh, Psalms that would take us into the end times and describing characteristics of this man. And they're completely contrary to Jesus Christ. Uh, let's end our, our, the majority of our reading this evening from Daniel again, chapter 11. I encourage you to turn there this evening and look at we're going to read several verses that describe this Antichrist. Daniel chapter 11, we'll read verse 36 down through 45, the end of the chapter. When it says the king here in verse 36, this is referencing the Antichrist. We're picking up in the middle of a passage, and so I'm not going to be able to give you all the context, but we're speaking of the Antichrist in verse 36. And the king, or the Antichrist, shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper till the indignation, that's referring to the tribulation, that word indignation, referring to the tribulation, be accomplished. For that it is, is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Let me pause there as I was reading up on these things. I learned that from that thought, many people believe that perhaps the Antichrist will be an apostate Jew. A man of Jewish descent. Now Jew is much more than just a nationality. It's a religion, isn't it? It's, a, it's, a, it's who they worship. And because of this, many believe that he, he, is, he shall not regard uh, the God of his fathers, uh, that he is an apostate Jew, possibly. Uh, it says here, nor the desire of women. There are those out there that take from this that this man may be homosexual. And it goes on, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. Now, when you read just those few verses, does that not remind you of Lucifer and how he wanted to exalt himself above God? And that's why God threw him out. And if Satan is behind this man, energizing this man, is it no wonder that that's the way he's going to be as well? Magnifying himself, exalting himself. Verse 38, but in his estate shall, the, shall he honor the God of forces and a God whom his fathers knew uh, not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. And the king of the north shall Come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. 
He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. He shall stretch forth his hand upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and of all, over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall not go forth with great fury to destroy and to utterly make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his, of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Now get this last phrase. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. Here's another contrast from Jesus Christ. He's going to come to an end one day, the Antichrist. He's not going to make it. He's not going to win. His time will come to an end and none shall help him. Now there was a time when some thought Jesus was done. Some thought that they had put him down and that they were victorious over him. But aren't you glad on that third day Jesus Christ came forth from the grave alive, providing salvation for each and every one of us. As we've heard these many descriptions tonight of the Antichrist, the beast, uh, the Antichrist. For me, it makes me appreciate the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Christ, that much more. When we see uh, what he's going to do, the Antichrist is going to show up. He's going to deceive the nations, especially Israel. He's going to convince them. He's going to come in the guise of religion. He's going to uh, de deceive them, and then he's going to turn on them. He's going to turn on them and try to destroy them. Again, and Satan's plan to destroy redemption. But I'm grateful that Jesus Christ will overcome this. We'll see as we get to the end of Revelation, Jesus Christ will put down the enemies. Jesus Christ will be victorious. Uh, at the Battle of Armageddon, and then finally again at the last battle of Gog and Magog, where he puts down all of these enemies, and we will go and live with the Lord Jesus Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. So this evening, I would challenge you tonight, do you know the true Christ? Not the Antichrist, but the true Christ. Now consider this, if you do not know the true Christ, and if he were to come back tonight... We would begin to enter, you would begin to enter into what is known as the tribulation period. And if you were fortunate enough to survive any length amount of time, remember we've seen a third of the people dying, a quarter of the people dying. We know there's going to be much death during the tribulation period. But if you were to make it for a time, you would fall for, the, for, this, for this man, the Antichrist. You would follow after him. You would believe on him. There in the book of 2 Thessalonians, uh, we learn that he'll, he'll lie, he will deceive the nations, and they will follow after him. And this Antichrist, the beast out of the sea, the wicked one, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the little horn, the idle shepherd, would be the one you would look to, and he would fail. He would come to an end. And so that's why it's so important for us, church, to tell everybody about the true Christ, the true 
Savior. Uh, we have a limited time. Uh, we believe the Lord's coming back soon. His return is imminent. And we have an opportunity to tell people about the true Christ. And so I trust that we will do that. If you're here this evening, you don't know Christ as your Savior. Uh, tonight, give your life to Him. Turn your heart over to Him. Trust Him. Believe Him. Put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm grateful once again that we believe and the Bible teaches in a pre-tribulation rapture. So we do not have to endure any of these events. We don't have to be that. And I don't think it's that another reason why it's not that important for us to figure out every little detail about who it is. We're not going to be there for it. We don't have to worry about that. And we can be with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven and not have to have a part in that. So please think on these things. We'll get into chapter 13 and break down the chapter a little bit more next week as we continue on here looking at this tribulation period. Let's pray. Father, we love you this evening. Thank you, God, for your word. And Lord, even when we have to learn about difficult things, Lord, this Antichrist, this beast out of the sea, Lord, I pray, God, that we would take the, the positive encouragement from it, Lord, that uh, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ is not like these things, is a true Savior a true shepherd, a true lamb, all these things, Lord, that are pictured this evening. And help us, Lord, to be motivated to tell others about you. Now, Lord, I pray that you give us safety as we go to our separate ways this evening. Watch over and protect us. Uh, bring us back at our next appointed time. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you accomplished in and through our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you on Sunday.